If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 232. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome, welcome. Richard Ryerson here. Thank you, as always, for tuning into the show. This is the show where we talk about leadership. You hear me say in every introduction, why is it so important? It's because somebody right now, regardless of who you are, whether you look at yourself as a leader or not, someone's looking to you for influence and guidance. Think about that. We are influencing people without even trying. So think of the impact we could do if we actually were trying, we're intentional about it. We're thinking about how we become more influential. And I get asked that question all the time. How can I become a person of influence? How can I become an influential leader? The secret sauce is this, pay close attention. It's about adding value to other people's lives and not expecting anything in return. Think about that. It's simple. That's Nobody invented that. That's biblical. That's just exists. It's common sense. It's easy to understand. But why is it difficult? Mm, there are a whole host of reasons. Because we're selfish, because we're thinking about our own needs, our own wants, our own desires. But here's the truth. The universe will move in such magnificent ways if you pour your life into somebody else. Don't expect anything in return. Somehow, some way, your needs and wants will eventually get met three, four, five, ten times what you were expecting. And I honestly believe that. And that's at the heart of leadership. All right. I hope you're finding some value and dose of leadership. And if so, please take the time. I ask this, I know, every episode. But please bear with me. All this great free content, all I ask you to do is go subscribe, rate, and review. Take this with your mobile device. Leave a rating. Leave a review on iTunes, on Stitcher. Tell me what you think about the show. It means so much to me. Thank you so much. And drop me a line at doseofleadership.com where you can learn more about all the interviews I've done, 230 plus, approaching 250. And Drop me a line. Let me know where you think or where you're at in your leadership journey. Okay, great guest today, Dr. Ivan Meisner. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. Of course, I've heard of him because I've been associated with Business Networking International. I was a, I've been a member, and Dr. Meisner is the founder of BNI. It is the world's largest business networking and referral organization. It's got a great philosophy, which we talk about in here, which coincides with the leadership philosophy we talk about in Dose of Leadership, this whole giver's gain philosophy. It's kind of a selfless approach to networking. Instead of approaching another human being and on what they can do for you, you're thinking, how can I add value to this person's life? How can I help them? It's just twisting it, and it's common sense. And it takes time. It takes a little more effort, but the payoff is huge. And that's at the central core of what Dr. Ivan Meisner believes. 
He's led a full life. He's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. He's a philanthropist and a best-selling author, and he's achieved enormous success. And it was such a true honor and privilege to have him on the show. Great content. I think you're really going to enjoy this. So without further ado, here's Dr. Ivan Meisner on Dose of Leadership. Well, Dr. Meisner, what an honor to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thanks. It's great to be on. I, I appreciate the invitation. You know, as a member of BNI, this is a true treat for me because I've been looking forward to talk to you. I mean, obviously, um, been very impressed with your leadership style, your beliefs. You know, you're you're known as kind of the the networking god or the networking guru. First question is: a lot of times people think networking. At least I know for I before I got into BNI that networking kind of had this, I don't know, kind of a negative or gross association to it what's your take on that when you hear the word networking and how it's different from uh, how you view it well look I, I love networking but not everybody does and I recognize that um, generally people who don't like it um, have basically basically been assaulted with networking as opposed to yes. uh, you know building relationships I think uh, that networking is often used as a face-to-face cold calling opportunity uh, hi, Richard. My name's Ivan. Let's do business. And, right. you know, you just kind of launch right into it. Uh, give me an example of what I mean. And this is sort of the mindset that's out there that I, you know, I'm all about trying to help change. I did a um, presentation in London a few years back, and there were almost a thousand people in the audience. And I, um, it was a networking event, and, and I was doing the keynote. And uh, I asked the audience, I said, how many of you are here? Raise your hands, uh, hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly sell something. I'm telling you, a thousand people raised their hands. Right. I mean, everyone raised their hand. I said, great. Second question. How many of you are here hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly buy something? No one raised their hand. <laughs> Not one single person. Richard, this is what I call the networking disconnect. Too many people show up at networking events wanting to sell, but nobody is there to buy. And that's why when when you go to a networking event and you come back and you feel like you need a shower, it's because you've been you've surrounded yourself with a lot of um, uh, hunters. You know, I think networking right. is more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships with people. So that's why it's viewed negatively. And when it's done right, it is a thing of beauty because it's all about building relationships. Yeah, it's about adding value to other people's lives. It's almost like it's, a, it's the way I view and we talk about leadership on this show. It's like if you want to be influential, you want to gain influence, then start adding value to other people's lives. Everybody you come in contact with and that falls right in line with your giver's gain mentality, does it not? Yeah, it does. Uh, and and when And I agree with the added value with one little caveat. Uh, add value, and I'm not talking about selling your product right, right. or your service, because I talk to people and they go, "Well, I do add value. You know, if I could sell them, you know, what I do, then that adds a lot of value to, <laughs> to them." I'm like, "Okay, you're missing the point completely." Um, and so people say to me, "So why go to a networking event if you're not there to sell?" And um, and and my answer is really, uh, I think, pretty straightforward, and it's the foundation of everything I teach in networking. And, and that is that um, you go to networking events to, to move through what I call the VCP process. VCP stands for visibility, credibility, profitability. Uh, you're first visible in, in the community. People know who you are and what you do. But then you can establish credibility where they know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it. And only then can you get the profitability 
where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it, and they're willing to pass you uh, ongoing reciprocal referrals. And uh, that that is a you know a time-consuming, long-term process. It doesn't happen overnight. But if you go to networking events and you meet people that you can first build visibility with and those that you know continue to build credibility with and those that you have a really good relationship with uh, continue that profitability relationship. That's what networking is all about. It's all about giving, as you said, our philosophy is giver's gain, giving and contributing. Yeah, spending that time, following up, developing that trust, that's the key piece that a lot of people, you're absolutely right. And and to do that, it as you put it, it's it's not something that's instantaneous. And I think that's part of the problem too. We think we're going to go to these events and instantaneously we're going to gather some business. It takes some time to develop those relationships. you got to get people to know, like, and trust you, no doubt about it. Yeah, it, it does take time. And, um, you know, and, and I meet people who say, yeah, but I'm and I sold something at a networking event once. Okay, yeah, look, even a blind squirrel can find a nut. <laughs> right. You're, you're going you're gonna to stumble over business um, from time to time. But what I'm talking about is long-term ongoing referrals, and that's all about relationships. Yeah, so how did it start for you? Take me back. I mean, were you always – was it always your dream to be <laughs> an entrepreneur? Where did it start for you? Well, an entrepreneur um, – yeah, you know, I, there was a there was a time in my life I probably got sidetracked into something else for a little while. But but when I was young, I mean, I started selling stuff pretty young. Uh, you know, literally the kind of the 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 street lemonade stand. Yeah, right. uh, when I was thirteen or f- I was fourteen, um, there was a neighbor who did reflective numbers that went on houses, and they were very unique. Uh, epoxy reflective things. I thought these are really cool. Um, I bet these would sell well. And he said, well, well, you know, I'll make some for you. Go sell them. And I sold a ton of those. I sold so many that I started hiring my friends. (laughs) I'm 14 years old. I had a sales force. (laughs) We we went out. We sold these like crazy. Finally, my neighbor said, kid, you're making me work too hard. (laughs) I I don't want to do this anymore. And so I lost my supplier before I had 15, but, That's funny. uh, you know, my first business really was, uh, as a, as a young boy. Was that, okay. So was it like, okay, I just need to get, make some bucks. I mean, what was the dream back then? I mean, I know 14 where our dreams are to be a sports star or, or a movie star or something, but what was it for you? You know, I just wanted the freedom of, um, a, a job doing something that I loved for a product that I, uh, really enjoyed. I mean, I, I like this product. Um, and I, I think, um, I think I was attracted to being my own boss. You know, I said I got sidetracked for a little while, uh, and I and I did. I you know I was working for other people, and I'm, I kept thinking, man, this is this isn't fun. I don't like, <laughs> <laughs> these people are crazy. I don't like I don't like the way they manage me. I don't like the way they manage the business, and uh, and so I I went back to entrepreneurism at, at like the tender age of I think I was twenty. Five when I started my consulting business full time. Right, and so you got into consulting, and then how did that lead to 1985 to, to, to the creation of BNI? Yeah, so I'd like to tell you I had this vision of a <laughs> international organization with uh, we have 7,300 groups now, over 60 countries, 185,000 members. Um, but the truth is, I needed some referrals for my consulting practice. I I learned pretty quickly that the way you build your business is through referrals. And I needed referrals, more referrals for my business. And uh, I had a lot of friends that I know were in the same boat that I was. And so I put them together uh, and and I wanted to help them. And I hoped that they would be willing to help me. 
And, um, and we started meeting from the very beginning. I only took one person per profession in that first group because, you know, I didn't want my competitors sitting in the room. I didn't think they did either. They all liked that idea. So, uh, we were meeting for about a month or two and someone came who couldn't join because her profession was already represented. And she said, um, Hey, I could get a ton of business out of this, um, but I can't join. Would you help me open up my own group? And, and Richard, I, I actually said to her, I said, no, this isn't what I do. I'm not, <laughs> I don't run networks. I'm a, I'm a business consultant. My doctoral work was in organizational behavior. And, you know, I worked with uh, strategic planning and human resource stuff. And uh, I said, you know, that's what I do. And she said, well, you know, it's, it's kind of consulting. You're helping me build my business. And so I said, okay, fine. We opened up the second chapter. We had 25 people come to the first meeting of the second chapter. Two of the 25 couldn't join because of a conflict with the other 23. And both of them said, gee, I, I, I could get a ton of business out of this. Would you help me open up my own group? And I said, no, this isn't what I do. <laughs> I'm a business consultant. Right. They made the same argument. I did it. Uh, within a year, we ended up opening 20 chapters by accident. I wow. mean, it, I didn't have a strategy at that, at that point. Uh, at the end of a year, I, every year since I was a fairly young man in my 20s, I, I would try to take some time off between Christmas and New Year's to, to reflect and, and to look forward. You know, what's, what, what's next year going to be like? What's my five-year plan? What's my 10-year plan? How am, I, how am I working on that? And, and what happened last year? Well, that year I sat down between Christmas and New Year's and I was like, what the heck just happened? We, we opened 20 chapters of this, of this B&I thing. Uh, and I didn't, you know, I didn't see it until then. And it was at that point that I realized they had struck a chord in the business community. The business people want referrals, but we don't teach this mm. in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. And so uh, it was it was then that I really created a strategy and a plan uh, to take this organization global. Yeah. So when you decided to put the strategy behind that and, you, and develop a program behind it, was it based upon a lot of your passion from organizational management and leadership, or was it more about kind of the street smarts of running a, running a business and being a consultant, trying to find referrals? What was it more of? Well, it, it, you know, certainly my um, organizational development background, my, my doctoral degrees in organizational behavior, an emphasis on organizational behavior. And, and so that, that certainly didn't hurt. Uh, it yeah. helped a lot. Uh, I taught management at the time uh, at a state university. So those things helped. But when it came to networking, I was clueless. Right. Uh, because, you know, like I said, we don't teach this in college. And so I I was clueless. Uh, you know, I really helped to develop a, an industry. Now there are many, many, many networks around there, around the world. Um, and we, we were kind of creating this this enterprise of business networking as we went. It's interesting, though, and I'm sitting there thinking about it. I'm really curious because I'm so passionate about leadership and looking how leadership, um, or at least management, was viewed in the early 80s to, to now. How do you think it's different, or, or have you – I'm also curious how you've evolved as a leader yourself. Well, I think management itself is similar. Uh, you know, the, the, the principles of management remain fairly constant, uh, certainly techniques and – and technology uh, changes, but when I started uh, BNI and I and I wanted to make it a, a larger organization, there were a number of things that I did, um, and and I'll, let me review some of those. Uh, I mean, first, I wanted to um, I wanted the business to be scalable. Right. I wanted to be able to scale it up, and I realized something really important. And and your listeners, you know, if they're 
in business, I think this is important for them. If you do what you love, you'll love what you do. Right. So, so you got to do something that you love. Um, th- that's really important. And, and I was really enjoying this. So the first thing that I did was um, I started writing everything down. I wrote everything down that I was doing. So if I wanted to, I, I loved what they did. I loved what I did. But if I wanted to make it scalable, I needed to be able to train people. And, um, and, and, and I needed consistency in that training because training is what I call a leaky bucket process. Mm-hmm. If I train you, uh, some of the information leaks out. And when you train someone else, uh, more information leaks out. And when they train somebody else, even more information leaks out. So then after a little while, you have a half a bucket of information and people start putting their own stuff in at that point. So um, I, I had to write everything down so that there could be consistency in the training um, that, that we did. Uh, you know, I did some very specific things relating to goals, which is, you know, the goals I set, I then reverse engineered them all. That was, a, that's the next thing. So I, I reverse engineered my goals. If, if I wanted to hit a certain target by the end of the year, where would I be at, at 11 months, at 10 months, at nine months, at eight months? And I just reverse it back out so that I would know immediately whether I'm on track or not. Uh, I think there's uh, at least two other really important things. Stuff, and this, by the way, is stuff that you know I was never taught in college. Sure, yeah. But but really helpful. Uh, I learned pretty quickly that ignorance on fire is better than knowledge on ice. <laughs> I like that. Okay, so I um, I would rather hire somebody who didn't on paper have the skill set, but they were on fire. Yeah. You can teach somebody. You you find somebody with the right attitude. You can teach them how to do something, but you can't teach them how to have a good attitude. And and I don't usually have time to send them back to mom to get retrained. So, uh, you know, ignorance on fire. And probably the most important thing, and this is where entrepreneurs really, really screw up. You got to do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. Oh, uh, yeah. And people just... They, they fail badly at this. They do a thousand things six times and they can never figure out why it's not working for them. And it's because they keep uh, chasing bright, shiny objects mm-hmm. rather than doing things that they have seen work for other people and they know can work in whatever industry they're in. Uh, and they do it over and over and over again. If I am nothing, I am a dog with a bone. Nice. I, I hang on and just keep <laughs> oh. working it. That is so true. And gosh, I can see that. And, you know, I talked to so many of my peers and myself. I see that in, in the, my journey, too, is like, my gosh, if you can't focus for a length of time, you're just constantly chasing. You're absolutely right. And you're just constantly spinning your wheels. I love that. It's almost like this intentionality of creating. What I love about what you're saying and, and embedded in all that is, is an intentionality of a culture. I mean, that's what I loved about the Marine Corps, why it was so great. The reason why they're so successful is because it's vested in culture and character. Yeah. And that's exactly. Yeah, look, I, I believe that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. The, the organizational culture is so important. If you're a part of an organization that has a marginal culture and a, and a great strategy, you're going to fail. Yeah. If you're part of an organization that has a great culture and a marginal strategy, you'll survive. If you're part of a, a company that has an awesome culture and a really good uh, strategy, you're going to beat the competition every day of the week. Yep. Culture is so important. And that means that you really have to create a core values 
that uh, you apply consistently in your organization and you need to have a mission and a vision. And I think a lot of businesses, when they're really small, they think I don't need that stuff because it's just me and a couple of other people and, and they're wrong. The sooner they create those core values and 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 the core values can they can change over time, but but at some point they need to be set, and um, and 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 you got to start that early on in the process. How you know? And I think going back to that, you're talking about the people that you want around. You know, you know, ignorance on fire is is so much is such a much better place to be, or the type of people that you want on your team. How important is it to just take the time and constantly just try to hire A players? I mean, we, we, I see this all the time where people are, well, I'm in a time crunch, so I'll settle yep. for a B or so a C. Settle. Yeah, don't do it. It's a bad idea. Um, I, I wrote a book uh, um, last year called Who's in Your Room? It's, it's, at this point, it's just a BNI edition. It hasn't been released publicly. But the whole concept um, is, is interesting, and I think it applies a little to what you're saying here. Imagine you live your life in one room. You live your whole life in one room, and that room – has only one door. And that door is an enter-only door. So that when people come into your life, you can never get them out, right. ever. Now, if that were true, Richard, and luckily this is a metaphor, but if it were true, would you be more selective about who you let into your room? Absolutely. And, you know, I've never uh, described this to someone where they said, no, I'd let anybody in. <laughs> right. Why? Because we've done it. We've let people into our room and into our lives, and we scratch our head almost every time soon after saying, what was I thinking? Or was I even, even thinking? And I, I, I and if it sounds like I know what I'm doing, it's because I've screwed up yeah. enough to figure this out. Uh, I, I once uh, hired somebody to do a m massive project for my company, and uh, this guy, he was, he was a drama king and I, you know, I just, I'm not crazy about a lot of drama, but he was so technically skilled. I thought I could deal with that. Yeah. I was dead wrong. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I couldn't deal with it. It was that, um, that he was working with so many other people that he burned them out. And so, um, the project was really in danger. And, uh, as soon as I let him go and it wasn't easy letting him go, uh, as soon as I let him go, project turned around. So um, you got to be really selective uh, on who you let into your room, both personally and professionally. And you want to be selective based on um, values being congruent with each other. Yeah. When when your values are really incongruent uh, is when you're going to have problems. What do you say to those organizations? I see this a lot where, okay, particularly large organizations where ideally we would – be hired and we'd be able to bring on the people that we have. But the truth is we inherit what we get and we have a lot of people that aren't congruent with the values or their B players or their C players. And it seems sometimes organizations, particularly large ones, makes it difficult for that junior leader to, to create that A, A plus team. What, what advice would you give to that junior leader in that uh, kind of middle management role, inheriting a team that isn't as ideal as we would like? Well, and, and it, again, it kind of depends on how they're not ideal. They might not be ideal because they don't have the, um, the expertise or the knowledge yet. And I'm, I'm a lot more tolerant of that. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if I've got the person with the right attitude, I can find a role for them uh, on the team. 
uh, assuming they have you know a, a, a basic skill set, I can find the, a room for them on the on the bus or on the team. Uh, it's 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 usually attitude issues, and um, you, you gotta you gotta do the tough thing and clean house. Yeah. Um, and it may it may not happen overnight, but you got to clean house. Yeah, no question. Uh, and you know, in BNI, we've had to do that a number of times, where you know we just kind of clean house and and move on. What do you think the biggest challenges for leaders today are, as opposed to maybe thirty years ago? Well, I think uh, technology is a is one of the bright shiny objects. Um, it's it's something that uh, you know people, uh, particularly let, let's take it from a networking perspective. Uh, people um, will spend a lot of time on their social networking thinking that that's going to generate a lot of business for them. And the truth is, and I'm a believer in social networking, by the way, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, I've got it all. And and, and I, I believe it's really powerful as a brand builder. Yeah. But it's not going to close sales for me. Not many. And so you 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 have to use the technology uh, as an as an appropriate tool and you can't re- become overly reliant on the technology to do the to do the hard work for you. Yeah. Um, you I think that's one of the biggest disadvantages today. Yeah, you still got to have those touch points. Even it is it's so true. It can suck you in thinking, okay, I got to have all these things, and it's going to generate all this business. But at some point, you have to get people to know, like, and trust you, and build that relationship. You yep. can't get around yep. it. And that and that takes longer online. Oh yeah. You know, it, Going from visibility to credibility, credibility to profitability online is is a very long process because n- nothing beats that face to face connection. How do you feel about? It seems like we're living in one of the most exciting, on, from an entrepreneurship standpoint, from a, a profitability standpoint, or a growth standpoint. We're living in probably one of the. It se- almost seems like a revolution now. Some people might say if they're not tapped into that what all these other I see a lot of high performers high creatives creating and making a lot of dents in the universe but if you're not paying attention all you would see is a lot of negativity I see a lot of positivity I'm curious about what you see in terms of maybe the United States growth the world growth the world of entrepreneurship well I always try to find the the positive in something particularly in networking um you know it doesn't do any good to complain to people uh, when you're networking uh, because half the people you tell don't care, and the other half are glad you're worse off than they are. <laughs> right. So you know it doesn't do any good to complain. Um, you know, I think is, is uh, well. Let me ask you a question: Is this um, is this show a play worldwide? It is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll try not to make it too U.S. centric then, but I, I think there are a number of countries, the U.S. being one of them, uh, and other countries as well, that are kind of fat and happy, and um, have. Um, don't quite have that same entrepreneurial spark that maybe we did 50 years ago or more. Yeah. Uh, and then there are uh, um, some uh, entrepreneurial countries around the world that are a little newer to the to the playground, and they are on fire. I mean, one of them that comes to mind is India. Yes. Um, the, you know, in India, the average number of members per chapter in india is about 50 percent higher than most of the rest of the world yeah and one of the reasons for that is they're sponges for education um a much higher ratio of uh indian uh, 
business people uh, listen and comment on my podcasts and my yeah. blog. You know, I see at a much greater ratio than than other countries. That's true with this show too. And it, you know, when I see the statistics, you know, obviously North America is a huge market for me, but my um, and Australia is my second, and then the third is India. Huge. Yeah. And where's the engagement? The engagement on a per capita basis. You look at the the number of business people in India compared to the number of business people, you know, middle class right, bu- yeah. business people, um, is is lower. Yet the engagement is higher. I have found with uh, business people from India, they're 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 sponges for education. I think what now we can we can uh, address that as as entrepreneurs by by ourselves becoming more engaged. Of course, you know, I'm I'm singing to the choir here because, you know, you and I both do podcasts and recordings and we understand that light you know lifelong learning is key to success absolutely what gives you life i'm curious about you as a man what what gives you life today well i think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax <laughs> okay when they're in their flame they are on fire right. they love what they do they're excited you can tell it in their voice you know they just love what they do when they're working in their wax it just sucks them it does, dry yeah. it takes mm-hmm all the energy out of them and they you know they just they hate going to work uh i have tried over the years to reinvent myself uh to take on roles that help keep me in my flame um you know recently with bni i I brought in uh, partners into the organization uh so that i could so that i could focus on the things that i'm i'm really passionate about i i want to write books not checks (laughs) Right. I want to I want to do interviews like this, not yeah. depositions with lawyers. If I never talk to another <laughs> lawyer, I'll be happy. Right. Uh, but when you run a, a global company, you get you really get caught up in a lot of the the weeds in the admin and the minutia. And so for me, um, being the spokesperson for the company is my flame, and I'm really happy to say that's that's really the overwhelming majority of my time now is in my flame. How do you intentionally? not get down in the weeds. I mean, that's what it just seems so from an outsider looking in at that, that level is like, Oh my gosh, you're right. I mean, the, the, the depositions, the lawyers, the, yeah. the minutia, how do you, how do you stop it? Well, it's, it's a, you know, it, it's kind of the same way that I, I, I tell people, um, how I achieve success. I'm, I'm a 20 year overnight success. You know, <laughs> right. it, it took 20 years to, of a journey to, to really build a, a business that truly was successful, not just a, a paycheck, but a, really a successful global business. Um, so you got to create a vision early on. In my, when I said I, I, I at the end of that first year, I kind of sat down and created a plan. One of the first things I did in that first year was I, I drew an organization chart. I had what amounted to one full-time employee. I had two part-time employees, each working 20 hours. So I, the equivalent of one full-time employee. Uh, I created an organization chart with 15 positions in it, and and I put either my my part timers in there or my name in there. So it was you know uh, founder and CEO Ivan Meisner, vice president of marketing, which is you know a job that I wanted to to fill someday, uh, but I put in Ivan Meisner because mm-hmm. I was doing it. <clears throat> Customer service Ivan Meisner. Uh, janitor, Ivan Meisner, you know, so I was in like 12 of these 15 boxes right. and, and my, um, my part-timers were in two or three, three or four of the other boxes. So one of the things I did was I tried to create this vision of where do I want to be in five to 10 years so that over the next five to 10 years, every time I hired somebody for one of those roles, I took my name out of the box 
I scratched my name out mm. and I wrote their name in. And it took about seven or eight years to fill all 14 of those boxes other than the one. Uh, and then, of course, by the time we reached that, I found that there were probably a few boxes I hadn't thought of. And so I was still doing a few things that that I, you know, were beyond uh, being the CEO. Um, but you have to create that kind of vision and then work every day towards achieving it. And it took me, you know, I've been running BNI 30 years. Uh, this is the first year where I'm completely out of or almost completely out of the weeds. Wow. That intentionality, that discipline, consistency. And I'm curious about are you um, a man of rituals, of habits? Um, has that contributed to your success? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a fanatic about time management um, and my calendar. Uh, as a matter of fact, what I do, my calendar is color-coded. Um, and so when I say, you know, I'm working in my flame or working in my wax, for me, everything that's in my flame is, is some variation of green. So I can look at my calendar in a day, and if, and if, it's, mo- if it's mostly a green day, then I'm completely working in my flame. If, however, you know, there's a meeting with attorneys or accountants or, you know, I have to do something relating to the, the admin of the business, it's in some other color. And, uh, and, and, and that really tells me I'm, I'm not in my flame today. I really need to, to spend time doing the things that I'm more passionate about. And, and that kind of ritual helps me visualize uh, how my weeks are going. Does that make sense? It does make perfect sense. You know, and I think it's important to realize how um... – Again, the consistency of those habits, those rituals, I guess. It's, it's second nature to you now, I'm sure. But, I mean, I think even for someone starting out to, you know, getting up to maybe 30 minutes early, starting doing this, spending that devotional time, whatever you do, but at least be consistent with it, I think. that's Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I exercise uh, five days a week and, and meditate periodically. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty much a fanatic these days about what I eat because um, – uh, a few years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer, and so I made a massive change in in uh, in my diet. Right. We talk about fear and uncertainty a lot of this, of battling resistance. You know, as a professional, you know that the professional gets up every day, knowing that he has to grab that shield and that sword and battle whatever resistance may be preventing you from. And it's different from everybody. What about you? Um, fear, resistance, limiting beliefs. How is that? How have you conquered that throughout your life? Yeah, you know, I, I uh, people ask me that question. I'm not sure I have a really good answer. You know, it is what it is, but it's uh, I'm not sure it's the it helps a lot of people. Uh, for me, it's about putting my head down and just just doing the work, just blowing through it. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, do I have fears? Yeah, have I had failures? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, are there problems that I've had to conquer and deal with? Absolutely. Um, and and I'll throw a pity party for myself, just like anybody will. Um, but I try not to, to live in that space for very long. Right. Um, so for me, if I've got an issue, I try to chunk it down. All right, I got to get through this. What are the pieces that need to get done in order to get through this? And I chunk it down into pieces. And then uh, every day, uh, I I you know eat the elephant one bite at a time. You know, you just you just uh, whittle away at the problem that you're dealing with, and if you're dealing with a lot of stress and a lot of issues, um, uh, one of the things you want to do is surround yourself with people who um, who support you, uh, not people who drag you down. So you know, hang out with, uh, make sure that you're spending time hanging out with positive people. 
Uh, I mean, I'll give you an example. When I when I was diagnosed with cancer, I realized I really needed to get my head in a very positive place. One of the things that I did, and, and it's kind of artificial, but it, it it helped me get my mind straight, was there were some movies that, or not, I mean, uh, TV shows that I uh, watched regularly that were very dark, and um, I stopped watching them. Mm. I took them off my DVR, um, stop stop recording them because I just didn't need to put that stuff in my head. Instead, I I wanted to I tried to watch more <clears throat> comedy, more humor, um, uh, just to put my my mind in a better place. So those are the things I do. Yeah. What's well, it's the choice. I think what's the takeaway is the ch- I mean, yeah. Okay, no matter how overwhelming it seems, there's a choice that you can make to start like you said putting in chunks and start chipping away at it. At least yep. it's doing something towards it, right? And then Yep. And visualization I think yeah. is really oh, important. Yeah. I mean, well, the very first book I ever read for self-development was given to me by my high school football coach. It's called Psycho-Cybernetics. And it's all about, uh, you know, visualizations and the power of positive thinking. And so, you know, um, when things are really seriously problematic on something, I really try to do some some concentrated visualizations on where I want to go and how I want to get uh, to the other side of the issue. I love it. What's exciting you now? What's next for B&I and what's around the corner for you? Well, you know, I've, uh, I have never been able to just be the spokesperson for the organization full time. Mm. Uh, and so that's where I am literally, you know, just in the last 60 days, uh, have been, um, able to do what I'm most passionate about, uh, full time. I mean, I, I've written 20 books over the last 20 years and I did it part time. So I, I can't imagine what I can do in the next 20. <laughs> well, that'll be exciting to see what, what comes out from that. Yeah. I got a book coming out later this year called avoiding the networking disconnect, which, mm. Um, is about how people, you know, will will do that face to face cold calling thing, and what you need to do instead is build relationships, right? Well, I'm excited. Yep. When's that coming out? Uh, it should be out in October. Oh, very exciting! Look forward to that. You know, as we wrap up here, you've been so gracious with your time. It's always kind of fun for me to kind of learn whose people's heroes are, who they kind of look up to, and I know that changes throughout your life too. But if you had, if I asked you today, to get this most wonderful kick butt dinner where you can invite alive or dead five people just have this fascinating night of conversation who would those five people be well uh several of them would be uh, some close friends of mine um who you know i've really started to build a a good relationship with um uh, jack canfield Mm, yeah uh chicken soup for the soul Mm -hmm. um um John Gray. John Gray's a hoot. Uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dr. Gray's a, he's a real hoot. He's a lot of fun at, a, uh, at any gathering. Uh, Lisa Nichols. You remember Lisa from um, uh, the, the, the movie The Secret? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, African-American yep. woman. Uh-huh. Uh, big hair. Uh, yeah. Although in the movie she did. She doesn't have that hairstyle now. But uh, Lisa's a blast. I love her. Uh, Lisa, Lisa calls me her brother from another mother. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I could not possibly go to dinner without my wife. Of course. Uh, you know, she is absolutely, uh, I, uh, she, she brings color into my black and white world. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, in, in one of my very first books, uh, I dedicated the book to her. I said, um, uh, uh, I make the living and she makes the living worthwhile. Oh, that's nice. 
so, and then the fifth person would be somebody who I've met about a half a dozen times. Don't think he, I don't think he'd show up if I invited him, but, but Hey, what the heck? If, 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 if on your rules, I could yeah, in, invite can. anyone and they'd mm-hmm. come, it would be Richard Branson. That would be nice. Uh, I met Branson a number of times and I spent, uh, a couple of weeks on his Island, uh, uh a week at a time, twice. Uh, amazing guy. Very, very interesting and very personable. So those would be the five people I'd invite. What'd you learn from him? Well, a uh, number of things. Uh, first of all, he, he definitely has fun in business. Uh, and he finds time, uh, to have fun in life. Um, but, but he is a master networker. Is he? And, and I mean that in a way that a lot of people might not think he is great at networking with all people, with, with people at all levels of an organization. You know, he, he can rub elbows with, um, uh, heads of state and billionaires. But what I really find amazing is that he connects on a very personal level with his employees, uh, the people around him. Um, and, and people that he meets that, uh, people might think of are a different station than him. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, I, I was invited to a Virgin Galactic party, you know, the, yeah. the, for the spaceship thing. And, uh, and, and, and I've got like three or four examples of this I could give you, but I'll tell you this one. He walked into the party, hundreds of people, mostly millionaires or people, you know, successful in their fields. And he, and everyone's like, Oh, Richard, Richard. But he stopped about, 10 feet in, turned around, walked over to the side, and there were two um, Hispanic uh, maids um, kind of standing up against the wall. And I heard him uh, walk over to them and say, ladies, thank you so much for being here and and helping uh, with this party tonight. This is a really important party. It's the rollout of a new business for us. And I just wanted to thank you for your contribution here. And he walked off, you know, to, to meet the millionaires. Um, I was really impressed, and I've seen him do that two or three times in other very specific situations. So he's he's very consistent with recognizing people at all levels of an organization, uh, including you know the, the the minimum wage. Man, I love that story. You know, it's so it's such a simple thing for all of us to do. No matter we don't have to be Richard Branson type, but if you're any type of leadership position, if you do that, God, that pays yep. huge dividends. And it's just it a does. simple intentionality of doing that is yeah. the awareness. So powerful. Yeah, I, I really prefer to work with people whose egos don't enter the room before they yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Whose shoulders are you standing on? I'm curious. Oh, gosh, aren't we standing on a lot of people's oh, shoulders? Yeah, sure. uh, yeah. You know, I mean, the list is infinite for sure. But Yeah, I mean, starting with people who made a difference in my life when I was young. Um, you know, I have teachers, particularly several high school teachers that um, helped, absolutely helped uh, change the trajectory of my life in, in a number of very positive ways. And um, so, I mean, I think we're definitely standing on their shoulders as well as, you know, mentors and people that we've learn from and 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 i i named some of those uh, people to you jack and i i see yep. jack several times a year and uh now there's a guy whose ego does not enter the room yeah, before he's him great. he's great he's you know what you see is what you get with jack canfield gosh i mean i consider and talk to you for hours i know your time you've, you've given me plenty of time today i'd love to have you back on the show there's other topics i'd like to explore with you but my gosh thanks for coming on the show this has been a, a real treat for me 
Hey, my pleasure. And I would love to come back again sometime. Just uh, just let me know. I'm, I'm, this is my full-time job now. Right on. I like this. Very good. All right, sir. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Richard. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.